Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Steve Espalman. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Thank you so much. Wow, is it so awesome to be here. Is this too loud? Uh, I like things quiet. No, I'm kidding. You know, isn't it, wasn't that phenomenal worship? Where's that worship team? You guys are amazing today. Wow. You know, it's interesting. You can go to a, a, a football game or a, or a baseball game and scream your head off for a ball and an overplayed, overpaid athlete, you know, or worse yet, go to a, a hockey match and scream for blood, which my wife and I were traumatized once at a hockey game. But, um, and that's okay, that's normal, but if anybody raises their voice to praise the Lord Jesus, who died on a cross, saved us from hell, and is bringing us to heaven, well, that's emotionalism. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I'm excited about Jesus today. <laughs> I don't mind shouting. I could shout for the Yankees. So Sorry, they're my favorite team. I'm in trouble now. But isn't that amazing? I, so don't be afraid of a little emotionalism, okay? Did you ever see those guys out there? They're painted. It's 10 below zero. And they've got no shirt on and they're painted. And, and everybody thinks that is they're just the best fans in the world. But if I get a little excited about Jesus, oh, he's just emotional. Right, coach? <laughs> he knows what excitement's about. So great to be here today, and um, I'd like to, um, and I feel like this is home. I just really have so much love for so many of you, and I'm sure if I get to know you, I will love you, I hope. No. So, but this morning, I, I, I want to show you the uh, unusual influence of prayer and worship on the environment, and I have Three or four goals today. I'm going to tell you up front, not later. So you can t tell me if you could check them off if I get them or not. But one, that you would see that God wants us to pray. Two, that God works through prayer. Of course, three, he answers prayer. But number four, and it's the main point I'm really going to be making today because I feel there's a special calling on this house for this, that prayer changes the atmosphere and environment and releases the purposes of God. And I hope I can prove that to you. Uh, you we've all heard the term critical mass, and um, I could try to explain it to you, but I don't understand it myself when I'm reading about f fusion and fizzles. But I know when they blast that atom, if a certain amount of whatever whatever science teachers here you could help me, but whatever is released, if enough gets going, it releases a chain reaction and it takes on a life of its own. Or we've heard of the tipping point. Or, you know, I grew up on a farm, you know, if you stuff enough cherries in a pie, eventually they're going to come out the other end. <laughs> and it gets to a, a point where, where once you hit critical mass, everything just has a life of its own. And I'd like to talk to you about that in the, in the context of prayer. We're all familiar with the verse in, uh, in James 5 where James said that um, Elijah was a man just like us 
That's an important part, just like us. And he prayed, and it didn't rain for two and a half years or three years, and then he prayed again, and then it rained. But what we don't, uh, when we read that, it's very encouraging because he was just like us. But when we look at the story in um, 1 Kings 18, if you have a Bible or an iPhone or something like that, um, it gives some more details about what kind of prayer that was. And in 1 Kings 18, after um, there was a contest between the, um, the prophets of Baal and the man of God. And the prophets of Baal and the Israel had gotten to a low point and were worshiping idols. And, and um, so there were 400 prophets of Baal and they were screaming for, they, they had a contest. How many know this story? It's a great, it's a really exciting story. You got to read it. And um, so in King, 1 Kings 18, so the, the prophets of Baal went first. They had a, an animal sacrifice. Now it hadn't rained in two and a half years. Everybody's upset because back then in agricultural country, uh, country, when it doesn't rain, things are bad. And so they put the sacrifice on the altar and then they cried out to their God, Baal, and nothing happened. And Elijah would make fun of them. Perhaps he's in the bathroom or maybe he's taking a coffee break. And, and so nothing happened. So then Elijah said, okay, come on over here. And all the people came and, and, and they uh, had the sacrifice. He built the, the, with the rocks representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And they poured water on it. All the water they had, they poured on it. And he said like a, a two-second a two prayer, fire came down from heaven, burned up the sacrifice, burned up the altar, dried up all the water. And everybody falls on their faces and says, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So there's a lot of excitement there. And then Elijah went to pray because now it had to stop. It had to start raining again. And it said he prayed and he, he bowed down and he prayed and nothing happened. Now he had the word from the Lord that this was going to happen. Then he prayed again a second time. Then he prayed again a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time and a sixth time. Then he prayed the seventh time and he saw a little cloud the size of a man's fist. And he said, get ready, it's going to rain. And my question today is, what if he stopped at the sixth prayer? It was God's will for the rain to come. He, he had a word from the Lord, but he had to pray that word into existence. What if he stopped? And what about Daniel praying for three weeks and nothing was happening? <laughs> and then the angel finally came and said, we heard your prayer from the moment you prayed. But I had... To battle, I had three weeks of warfare with demonic forces to bring the answer to you. That's a little different. I mean, you know, God's, God's, in, God's sovereign, right? If this is what God wants to do, why doesn't it happen? Well, get, this is the weirdest thing, and I don't understand it. And so maybe over 30 cups of coffee, we could discuss it and come up with some weird conclusions. But... We live in a, a war zone. And yes, we all know, according to Revelation, at the, when, at the end, when Jesus comes back, it's all over. But until then, we live in a war zone. Jesus won the victory on the cross. But it's like the, it's like the Second World War. The war was won, but they still had all that cleanup to do. There were all those little leftover battles. 
And even Jesus said, now to think about this incredible statement, Jesus said, he had saw the, the, the masses were there, the crowds were there, miracles were happening, and he had compassion on them. And he said, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Then he says this stunning statement, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest. Wait a minute. It's his harvest. He wants it to happen. So why do you have to pray about it? But he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest. There, you could talk to a Calvinist, an extreme Calvinist, and everything is just the way God, that's God's will, or an extreme Armenianist, Armenialist, who will say it's all free will. Somewhere in the middle there's a divine tension between what God wants and our free will, and we live in that tension, and that's where prayer comes in. We partner with God. We have a divine partnership with God to pray, and when we pray, things happen. I don't know why it works like that, but it does. It's like turning on the light switch. It still amazes me. But if you don't turn it on, the, the lights are not going to come on. If you don't pray, things aren't going to happen. And that's just how it is. Um, you know, it's, it's, you could go back to Genesis. I'll let Pastor Nathan deal with that. The fall of man. And it says, even before the foundation of the earth, Christ was crucified for us. So God knew from the beginning, this is what Adam and Eve were going to do. He had a plan. Free will, God's love. Let Nathan figure it out. That's not my, <laughs> that's not my problem today. Uh, but ultimately, in the end, it comes down to prayer. Maybe you're not convinced, so I'm going um, to read a few scriptures to you. Now, how many think Paul was a great apostle? Just a couple. Okay, well. <laughs> he wrote almost all the New Testament single-handedly preached all over the, the known world at the time. It was amazing. And here's Paul, been to heaven and back and forth. Jesus talked to him. You know a story. And look what he says in Romans. I appeal to you, brothers. Romans 15, verses 30 through 32. This is for all you skeptics out there that aren't convinced that prayer really makes a difference. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Ephesians, he says, and, 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 and pray for me that words may be given to me opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Um, if you've ever read the New Testament a couple times in the book of Acts, how many would say Paul did not have a problem with boldness? And yet he said, pray that I would be bold. And when he was in prison, he said, I know through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Or how about this, Continually, continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Pray for us at a door, for the word would be open for me to declare the mysteries of Christ. And he goes, 
on and on asking for prayer about things that are already God's will. And, and we're literally partnering with God when we pray to accomplish the things that he already wants to do. I don't know why it works like that. Nathan's going to tell you next Sunday. <laughs> All I know is that's what Jesus asks us to do and it works. And Jesus himself, oh my gosh, he prayed all the time. In Luke 5, it says they found him early in the morning praying, and then the power of God was present for healing. He prayed all night before he chose his disciples. Jesus prayed. If it was essential for Christ to pray, how can we ignore it? <laughs> so, I want to tell you some stories today. That was just to warm you up that what I'm going to say is biblical. But I want to tell you some stories today that are 100% true and not doctored up or changed. And they are astounding stories. Um, and I want to talk to you about a church that um, during the Jesus movement, it was a, a few that don't know what that was in the late 60s, early 70s, there was an incredible move of the Holy Spirit around the world. And millions of people came to Christ all, all at once over a, a sh short period of time. And everywhere you went, the Spirit of God was moving. And there was a specific church in South Jersey that had an unusual, um, unusual uh, proportion of that blessing. Even though all the churches are blessed, this particular church was extremely blessed. And I want to tell you their story because it's part of my story. But in the late 60s, um, there was a small Assemblies of God church in Vineland, New Jersey, Chestnut Assembly of God. And great church, you know, you know it was just normal church. And um, it was during this time of the year, Lent, 40 days before Easter. And, and one, of the, one of the elders said, you know, um, the Catholics have Lent, you know, they give something up and... He goes, we ought, to do, we ought to try to do something. So they came up with this brilliant idea. For 40 days, they would pray. Five in the morning. That was not, I don't like that. <laughs> but every morning, five or six, some horrible hour, they would, did you feel it this morning when your clock was turned ahead? I really felt it this morning. But anyhow, they would get up every morning for 40 days, and it was not, this is the beauty of it, it was not sophisticated. Like, you know, what's happening in Kansas City today, you know, 24 hours of worship and prayer, and there's different sets for this type of prayer, and that prayer is worship, or they didn't have incredible worship like we had today, where you just, anybody, after worship like that, anybody can pray. But they just get together, five in the morning, cold, you know, and they just pray. And it went so well, those 40 days, they said, hey, let's, let's extend it another 40 days. And people started to come into church and get saved. They started having some healings and miracles. They said, let's, let's do it another 40 days. And they kept extending it and extending it. But what they didn't know was happening was God was starting to permeate the atmosphere. And one of the ladies that would come to this prayer meeting, uh, I don't remember her first name because nobody had first names there. It was brother and sister. That was everybody's first name. <laughs> But Sister Mo, 
was part of this prayer meeting. Now, she was married to her husband, Don Moe. And I have to describe Don Moe because he was a monster of a man. He wasn't that tall, but he was a refrigerator with <laughs> arms and legs. I'm not kidding. He was a monster. Not fat, just like the Hulk. Just the Vineland version of the Hulk. And he had massive hands. I, I never saw hands so big in my life, like two or three normal hands, just. <laughs> and he, you know, real intense, crew cut, looked like a Marine sergeant or something. And he was an alcoholic, a bad alcoholic. And he beat his wife and he beat his kids. And he was a welder, he was a, a, a welder. And one of his fingers was permanently bent like this because some tendon had gotten cut and so things were just you know awful in her home he was this awful angry person and he was finishing up if you remember uh, the Delaware Memorial Bridges the twin bridges I forgot if it was the east one or the west one but one of them was getting finished around 1968 and he was working finishing up and they're 400 feet above the river and he fell and he's just grabbing, you know, as he's falling. And this finger that was permanently bent caught on to some pipe. And he just, like that. And he pulled himself up. And he said he hit every bar on the way home. <laughs> Can you imagine that? That's terrifying. Just this one finger caught this thing. And I'm going to tell you right now why that happened. Because there's this little church in Vineland praying. And it affected the atmosphere. Something happened in the atmosphere that would cause an angel to push this man against that pipe and catch it with his finger. He went to church that Sunday <laughs> with his wife, who he beat regularly, and gave his heart to Christ. And this man went from this monster to a gentle giant. And I'm telling you his story because he became a huge part of my life after I found Christ. He became a father to many of us hippies and a mentor to me. And he was the most gentle, kind, godly man you ever met in your life. <laughs> but what happened was this little church is praying Oh, by the way, he joined that prayer meeting too. This little church is praying every morning at five. God's just moving in the environment, moving, working, working in the environment. And in the late 60s, there was this whole drug, rock and roll movement thing. You know, the, Satan had his own plans. And isn't it interesting, you know, Satan was doing this terrible thing through the 60s to try to stop what he knew God was doing. And then people started praying. And I was brought up, um, you know, in a good, a good Italian Catholic home. Because if back then if you were Italian, you were Irish, you were Catholic, you know. And um, by the time I was, I, I was a very, very rough home life. And... Um, 
by the time I was 16, I decided I was an atheist. But I always remember being so hungry for something. I knew there was more to life than just what I had. And I remember uh, my dad was a very hardworking farmer. And I said, Dad, <laughs> we'd be out picking lettuce or something. I said, there has to be more in life than just like living 70 years and then dying. He says, what do you mean? So remember, all these old timers that came through the depression, they, they had a whole different worldview. He says, what do you mean? You get up in the morning, you watch the sunrise. I didn't like that at all, right? <laughs> you work all day, come home and eat, watch Lawrence Welk on Saturday night. And then you die. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> not, not very inspiring. So I was looking. I was looking. I, want, I knew there was more. And you see, for anybody that gets offended by all this excitement today, what religion had done to so many of us, it, it just it, it, it made everything rules and regulations and no personal encounters with God. People didn't know that they could experience God or experience his presence. And so when you can't experience God and everything's just rules and regulations, we were created, we were created to know the supernatural. That's what we're created for. And if you're not going to get it at church, you're going to get it somewhere else. So my whole generation were turned off towards religion. And we assumed we were turned off towards Jesus. It wasn't Jesus we were turned off to. It was religion. So we went looking. And back then, you know, it was the music and then the message. And before we knew it, I was starting to do drugs. And this is before it was recreational or popular. Back then, you really got in trouble for this stuff. And I began to experiment with drugs and began to look for meaning in life through music and through drugs. And one thing led to another and it got very dark. I quickly became, um, <laughs> I wouldn't say an addict at the time. Eventually I, I was, but um, just intense amounts of, of LSD and things like that, trying to find God. And I never heard about Jesus. Nobody had told me. And so, of course, when you're a teenager, one of your greatest goals is to be cool, right, guys? And <laughs> if you were cool, you, you, you would go to this place in Vineland where everybody would hang out. It was, it was called the wall. It w and what it was was a, a wall, and some genius hippie said, let's call this the wall. And so... <laughs> Everybody would hang out at the wall trying to look cool. So this is all happening. You know, I'd go to the wall, but he'd kind of hang out and look cool, do some drugs, look cool, and just stand there for hours looking cool. <laughs> and uh, great goal to have in life, isn't it? Goals are important, you know. And so I graduated high school and um, went off to college. And I wanted to go as far away as I could, so I went to the University of Alaska in Fairbanks. And when it got to be 40 below, I was the coolest guy there. <laughs> 40 below zero, looking at the northern lights, high on drugs. That was, 
incredible experience. I lasted about one month, two months. <laughs> and um, long story short, ended up in, in Colorado where I had lived in a commune in New Jersey. The commune had moved there and lived in a very scary house with witchcraft and all kind of weird stuff. And my parents still thought I was at college. So, anyhow, I had, um, I can't remember if I was wood at Woodstock or not, but after Woodstock, <laughs> after Woodstock, I had gotten <laughs> very depressed and, and began to get very suicidal. I began thinking the answer to life was death. My dad had his philosophy about Lawrence Welk. I had my philosophy about you live to die. And um, when I was um, in Colorado, it just got really bad. So um, it was Christmas time. I f my parents finally realized I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And I had a large amount of drugs under my coat for sales. And I was, um, you know, long hair, fringe jacket, and I'm, I'm hitchhiking to the airport. And Denver has a very friendly um, police department. And um, as soon as they saw me, they wanted to give me a ride. <laughs> so they picked me up, and they didn't take me to the airport, let me tell you. And I got busted for possession for sales. And in 1970, you went to prison for that. It wasn't like today. And I found out I was facing two years in a state penitentiary if I was convicted for sales in Denver, Colorado. But here's, you know, God's work. And by the way, did I, I didn't tell you that my friend, who was a real drug addict hippie, his mom was praying for us. I'm telling you, it makes a difference. When I walked in my jail cell, my bunk was the only one with a gospel according to John on it. And atheist or not, when you're in that kind of trouble, guess what? I started reading this gospel started reading it, thinking about it, thinking about it, and um, some miracle happened, and after a week in jail, I faced a judge, and he pretty much uh, warned me I was really in big trouble. Then the next day, when I went back for sentencing, um, all my charges had been dropped, and they kicked me out of the state. They just said, go away, and don't ever come back. I don't remember the details of that. I just thought, this is amazing. Um, on the plane home to Philadelphia, back then you were allowed to, to smoke on airplanes. I would go in the bathroom, but I wasn't smoking cigarettes. And, you know, that stuff has quite an odor. And I would smoke something in the bathroom, and I'd walk back to my seat, and everybody in the plane is looking like, I did this over and over and over because I was, I was, I can't explain to you how lost I felt. I just just try to get the right frame of mind, look in a mirror, get the right frame of mind, go back to my seat. And when we landed in Philadelphia, the, um, they were called stewardesses back then. She grabbed me and said, you weren't fooling anybody in there. We're calling the police. And I was terrified. The Philadelphia jail, that's not what I was looking forward to. I dumped everything in a trash can, snuck my way out, and fortunately, there were no police. Went home. My parents were devastated. This was like the worst thing in the world that could have happened in their minds. And a big argument ensued. And, you know, I just hopped in the car and zoomed downtown and ran into some old friends that I used to do drugs with. 
except they weren't doing drugs anymore. They were doing something called Jesus. Now remember what I told you. This church was praying. They're still praying every morning at 5. They don't, they don't, it wasn't sophisticated. They were just getting together praying. And they were getting excited because people were getting saved and healed. They had no idea the Holy Spirit was moving among the hippies. And these um, couple kids I used to do drug with, drugs with said, Hey, Stevie, how you doing? Um, we're saved. I didn't know what that meant. I, thought, I said, so am I. I kept thinking about, well, I read this gospel, you know, and I hate the police, so, you know. I love them now, but, I mean, back then it was like they were the, you know, the bad guys. And um, so this went on a couple times, and the most notorious drug addict of our town, Bobby Laurie, six, almost taller than you, Nathan. How about that? <laughs> Blonde hair down to his rear end. $50 a day heroin addict then. That would be a lot more today had this incredible encounter with Jesus because the atmosphere was changing. God was doing, let me tell you, just real, I don't want to tell you too many stories, but you have to hear the story. He was in his room with a bottle of pills to his mouth, ready to overdose, years of drug abuse, a horrible accident, motorcycle accident. He had a scar on his head like this. His one arm was paralyzed. He used to be a famous rock guitarist. Pills to his mouth, glass of water, and as he was ready to swallow it, a little stuffed animal on the top of his closet. You know this kind you get when you go to the hospital and people write stuff on it. Do they still do that today? No, I don't think so. But anyhow, it fell out on the floor. And he couldn't understand why it fell out. Remember I said the atmosphere was changing? God sent an angel, pushed it out, and he bent over and picked it up. And the first words he saw on it were, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He didn't know who said that. He thought Che Guevara said it, but he was like... Oh. But he caught himself guard that when his parents knocked on the door and said, hey, Bobby, we're going to the shore, he put his drugs away. He thought, I'll do this later. And they went to Ocean City, New Jersey. He and my buddy Johnny Wilhelm walked into, on the boardwalk in New Jersey. Everybody know New Jersey, God's favorite state. They were in Ocean City, New Jersey. They walked in a coffee shop. And in the back of the coffee shop, when they walked in, this guy jumps up. This is a true story. Jumps up and says, hey, Bobby, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And here, drug addict from Philly, got radically saved, tells him the message. Bobby has an encounter with Jesus under the boardwalk, completely zapped by God. Gets up, completely free, never had to withdraw anything, and he is excited about Jesus. His arm got healed at a prayer meeting, he gets, he didn't have a Bible. He got one you know, of those big family Bibles you get from the 1800s. <laughs> Kid you not. You know, everybody puts dates of death in there. He carries this up and down the streets of Vineland like this. And he goes to the wall preaching to everybody. You know, true Jesus freak, right? And one day I'm walking down the street and he sees me. He says, hey, Stevie, Jesus loves you. Stop over anytime. I'm like, But, but, as I got more and more depressed, I began um, doing what I swore I would never do. I started mainlining heroin. And after a week, I had already gone up to a large amount. And um, one night I was in my room, and I decided I wanted to end it. I was hearing noises in my head, my Jimi Hendrix posters swimming. And I jumped in my car. My dad's car, not my car. I didn't have a car. I was a hippie. 
And um, I went zooming down the street, and I said, this is it. I'm going to end it all. I'm, I'm tired of this. And when I got in the car and went zooming down the street, another presence came in the car. And I, I could tell something was going on, and all I could hear in my mind were the words that Bobby said to me, Jesus loves you, stop over anytime. Jesus loves you, stop over anytime. Jesus loves you, stop over anytime. Je so I drove to his house. That afternoon, he was supposed to go away that night. That afternoon, he was praying. There's that word again. Why does that keep coming up? He was praying, and he felt like Jesus said, stay home tonight. So he stays home. Seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock. He's like, ah, oh, man, <laughs> I guess I didn't hear God. I mean, and then I'm knocking at the door. And he took one look at me. He said, now I know why Jesus told me to stay home. And he shared with me the gospel. And I was so confused and lost. He talked about being saved. And, you know, when I, the way I grew up, when you're saved, it's like you fall off a boat and they, they throw you this little, like, lifesaver. Not a little one, but, you know, not the candy, but the, the thing, you know. And I'm like, but he said, look, he goes, I go to this church, you know, and, and they, they talk about Jesus and they, and they speak in tongues. I went, what? speak in tongues. When I went to church, I didn't even speak in English. I didn't do anything. I just sat there. Can't wait till this is over. So I said, really? He goes, oh, yeah, you got to check it out. So I went on a Wednesday night to this, yes, Lord. <laughs> do you hear that music? Oh, okay. I go on a Wednesday night to this little church. Is that my cue to stop? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I go to this I go to this little Assemblies of God church and I thought I want to see this, this, this crazy stuff my friend's talking about people speaking in tongues and getting healed so I sit in the front I had never been in a, a, I'd never been in a Protestant church before so I sat up front and all of a sudden the service starts and I now I have look I have been in jail twice I have suicidal I have done scary things on motorcycles and cars and I am more scared in this church than I ever was scared in my life because they had a band but it wasn't a cool band like you know I was used to like you know rock and roll they had people in suits and ties they had a guy with a French horn a violin a lady an old lady at the piano and I'm like what is this and then they start playing this hymns you know and I'm like this, this is crazy. And, and then that went on forever. And then the, the guy that spoke, spoke forever, two hours later on a Wednesday night, I'm like, but I, I've never been to church longer than 30, you know, 35 minutes, mass is over, right? So I make a beeline for the door. And I ran into the refrigerator man, the Hulk. And, he, and, and he's this massive person. And he, and he grabs me and he hugs me. Guys didn't do that back then. I was like, oh, what is this so weird? And, 
And he hugs me and he's got tears in his eyes. And he says, I am so glad that you came to hear about my Jesus. And I was like, oh, get me out of here. I'm out of there. But every morning at 5 o'clock, they're in there praying for God to do something in their town. And so I kept thinking about what my friend said about this experience I had. And you know how that works, right? And so January 10th, 1971, I go to this church on a Sunday. And I endure the, the orchestra over here. And then the pastor got up and invited people to come up to find Christ. So I went up front, and back then they'd have an altar you can kneel at. Anybody remember those kind of churches? You know, and I knelt down, and my counselor was a guy I hated. Mike Jaffe, he was a Jewish drug addict. I was an Italian drug addict. And he thought he was cool, and I knew I was cool. And here's Mike kneeling down with me. And, and, and I, said, I, said, I said, Mike, I said, um, Jesus can't save me. He's a brand new Christian. He goes, why not? <laughs> I, I said, this witch put a curse on me, and, and, and I, I'm cursed. I can't be saved. He didn't know what to say. So in his great storehouse of Christian knowledge, he, he hands me his Bible. He says, look, he goes, pray and flip this open, and God will talk to you. So don't, don't do that. Don't. <laughs> so I, I said, God, help, something, help. I open the Bible, and it opens up to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And he's Jewish. He's thinking, oh, no, that's really bad. This is really, really bad. <laughs> and I, I open it up, and, and the first words I saw in Deuteronomy 30 were, this day I've given you the blessing and the curse. And if you follow me, I'll remove the curse. Pretty much, that's what it is. I went, oh, my God, this is amazing. You know? And so I prayed and asked Jesus in my heart, and I didn't feel anything. <laughs> no feeling. But I just knew. I knew something happened to me. I remember going home and feeling like, I know something happened to me. And then I would... Every day we'd get together and we'd read the Bible and pray. We're hippies. We didn't work. And I was, I was, I was the, um, the fifth hippie in town to get saved. And remember, now they're still praying every morning. They don't know better. They just keep praying. And um, now we start coming to church. And we had a lot of hard questions, you know. And so... This amazing man of God named Harry Snook, Pastor Snook, said, well, why don't you kids come and see me? So one night, seven of us went to his office. It was a Friday night, and we all sat together, and we started asking him really hard questions. Like, all right, you know, where did Cain get a wife from? I don't remember what he said, but we were blown away by his answer. But, but I turn around, and next to me is my, my old friend, Dave Sengenis, who used to 
He was a genius, but he burned his brains out on LSD. He walked downtown stark naked a couple times. The police had to pick him up. And I look, and I was like, he's standing next to me. I'm like, what are you doing here? He goes, what are you doing here? Still trying to be cool. The next week, we were so excited, 15 of us came to see the pastor. The next week, there were 50 of us, so we had to move it to this chapel. The next week, I'm not kidding, the next week there were 100 of us. And we met in a church garage, and the next week there were a couple hundred kids, and this went on and on. And all of a sudden, this explosion happened. They hit critical mass. And hundreds of kids, hundreds of hippies, every Friday night would come to this garage. Uh, the church had a little fireplace in it. And again, if we had music like this, oh my gosh, but we didn't. Their, their assistant pastor could play a few bar chords. And, you know, we're all long-haired hippies and whatever, and he's this really straight guy playing and they would sing songs. Now, we, remember, we're listening to the Grateful Dead, you know, uh, Jimi Hendrix, you know, the Jefferson Airplane, Jethro Tull, whatever we were listening to. We're like, and, and they're singing songs like this. It's bubbling, it's bubbling, it's bubbling in my soul. I'm singing, I'm shouting, since Jesus made me whole. And we're like eating it up. There's, imagine 200 hippies, hair like this. And we're like, yay, it's bubbling, it's bubbling. <laughs> and it just kept coming and coming and coming. That summer, over a thousand decisions were made for Christ. What, it was amazing. And we just kept bringing our friends. We kept bringing our friends and just everybody's just coming. You got to come and hear this. And people were getting saved every week, saved every week. But then a, a problem happened in the church. Because all the, you know, we were, we were like excited about the Lord. And we smelled bad. And um, when, when they said, you know, when we'd sit in the pew, we thought somebody was just saying pew. We didn't know what, what you know, these are all. So, the, you know, the, the usher was the pusher. We didn't know. These are all these, you know. So, so we were crowding up the front. I mean, we'd fight for the front seats. And all these old saints were getting really upset. Like, that's my seat. The God's in my seat, you know. And I'll never forget Brother Snook's famous message. Folks, it's my job to catch the fish. Let Jesus do the cleaning, you know, and that was it. But what happened through this revival and this prayer meeting, people just put us, started to put aside their differences. They all of a sudden, like, the most important thing right now was Jesus. Not our differences, not our arguments. And the church just kind of became like one unit. It's like they began praying, and then they began discipling us. You can't believe some of the things that we did. But, you know, in New Jersey, and in Somebody's of God back then, Sunday after church, everybody was invited to somebody's house for dinner. We would go to these dinners and these, these precious saints, the ones that were getting all offended for a while, they would feed us every week and they would tell us stories about Jesus, about the healings they saw, about the miracles they saw. They'd pray with us. They would teach us. We were so hungry. We, would re we read our Bibles through to cover to cover like in a couple months. We were memorizing books of the Bible, just quoting them. Just we're so excited. And then this man, Brother Don, the Hulk, he would come. We had a home meeting. And, and I, I remember I, I, would, I would like pull away. I was, so, I was still suffering from a lot of damage from the drugs. And I, I had demons, but I didn't know I had demons. Nobody knew about stuff like that then. But, but he, he would call me up. 
I'd be, all, he said, Steve, he'd think of an excuse. I, I'm, I'm at the church tonight. I'm, I'm, I've got to fix the altar. Would you come and help me? And I'd come and I'd be all depressed. And he said, look, Steve, it took you a long time to get like this. It's going to take a while to change. And he'd pray with me and pray with me. And then they introduced this crazy concept called all-night prayer meetings. But you know what? It was an all-night prayer meeting that my brain got healed. Something clicked one night. One night after, I think, almost two years of following Jesus, one night at an all-night prayer meeting, I guess this, <laughs> this, whatever demon it was, couldn't handle the pressure. I mean, the presence of God was so heavy, he just like, it just left. I felt like something clicked, and I just started to kind of think differently. And God blessed us and blessed us. And this thing just kept going and going. And I want to say today that there, when I'm at this church, when I'm not, not just in this room with you folks, but when I'm at the Providence on the Hill, I feel, I am, this is a, and this is a word for you, not just Nathan, but for this church, I feel it in my heart like you guys more than any other church that I know of in this region are poised for an outpouring of the Lord. And I feel like God is calling you to prayer. I feel, I feel that God wants to release a prayer movement. And he wants it to start here. And I want to encourage you. And don't be discouraged. I mean, this little church in Vineland, they, they, they were faithful. Every, you know, they kept extending that 40 days and it became years and years. But, but prayers were answered. And, and some of you might be saying, well, I've prayed before I prayed. I want to tell you something. In, 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 in um, uh, Luke, remember when Zacharias... What the, the, the pre, the, he drew lots and he went in and did his service and, and he saw an angel and he freaked out and, and don't ever think seeing an angel is an easy thing everybody sees an angel and he said don't be afraid you know he sees an angel he freaks out and this angel said Zacharias I've got good news for you your prayer's been heard you're going to have a baby and he's like what prayer you know, what? <laughs> my wife and I are old what are you talking about? And he said, the Lord's going to give you. And then, of course, you know, he, dis, he didn't believe the Lord. And so the angel said, you know, you know who you're talking to? I'm Gabriel. I was sent from the presence of God to tell you this. Just for that, you're not going to be able to talk for nine months until this kid is born. And it was a sign and a wonder. And, of course, when John the Baptist was born, his tongue burst out. But what I want to bring, the point I want to bring to you is like, he didn't know what the angel was talking about because they were old. What prayer? The prayer and his wife used to pray that they'd have a kid. You know what? You know what a shelf life is? You go to the store and it says, this expires on May 28, 2022 or something like that. That's called a shelf life. A lot of prayers have a long shelf life. And this is, I believe, the other thing the Lord gave me a word for this church, um, that um, don't give up on the promises of God, the prophetic words given to you, the prayers, your prayers, because they have a long shelf life. And I believe that's a word for, for you, especially for you, Nathan, because I believe now is the time. And God wants to release something into the environment here. I mean, already with this worship that you have going and, and the prayers that you already have going, I know something's happening in the atmosphere, but I really believe God's calling you to a prayer movement that will just change the atmosphere here 
and you will hit, eventually when you hit critical mass, there'll be no stopping it. But it's just like Elijah when he prayed six times. If he quit, it would not have happened. It would not have happened. God is looking for people who will pray the seventh prayer. And I am so thankful that somebody was praying. Old Mrs. Jackson was praying for me every day. And boy, was she excited when I came back and told her I was saved. And you know what's interesting when Jesus said, pray, the harvest is great, the laborers are few. You know, all of us hippies became the new laborers. We didn't have to go to Bible college first to be a laborer. All we had to do was get excited about Jesus and we began dragging our friends in, right? Amen. Come on, that's how it works. So, I'd just like to have a, a word of, a, just a moment of prayer right now. And first of all, I just want to give anybody who doesn't know Jesus an opportunity to find Christ. You don't have to be a messed up drug addict or suicidal or a hippie. You can be, but you don't have to be. You could just be a really good person that has a great life, but you still need Jesus. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and that's another mystery, why there has to be blood, but without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. God wants to not only for us to receive complete forgiveness of all our sins. The Bible says we can be born again. The Holy Spirit comes in us and we become new creations. God wants to offer that to you. So right now, Jesus, there are people here that may or may not know you this morning. But they know they need something. They need a change in their life. They need a touch from God. If you're sitting here today and you would like to invite Christ in your heart, I want you to just raise your hand because I want to pray with you, okay? So anybody here today that needs Jesus? You want to receive Christ as your Savior. After the service, I want you to come up and, and talk to me, and I'll pray with you. And, um, but as a church, is God speaking to you today about prayer? Is the Lord speaking to you to join and to partner with him about releasing his purposes into the atmosphere of this region? If he is, just say yes to the Lord. Just say yes to the Lord right now.
Keith is going to direct us, but there's, there's a, a mom here, and you've been praying for your kid, I think it's a son, for a long time. And I feel like um, the Lord is wanting to tell you that there's, even though it hasn't happened yet, he's heard your prayer, and you're going to see, you're going to have, some, something's going to happen this month where you're going to see, see a radical shift. Is, is there a mom here that you've been praying for a while for your, is that you? Yeah, for your, it's a son, I believe. Yeah. You're going to see something really radical happen. And um, I also am sensing right now there's um, a, a couple that have been trying to get pregnant. And um, I feel like the Lord's saying it, it just something's being released and you're going to conceive. I don't know who you are, but if there's somebody praying that right now, um, that's good news for you. Steve is a good name for a baby, by the way, in case <laughs> when that happens. And um, there's a couple people thinking, and this is a, a, a lie from the enemy against you, but you're thinking, you're too old, you've gone too far, what, that's a lie. God desperately needs moms and dads, white caps, whatever, he needs us. He needs us to, to, to mentor this generation. I want you to repent for saying that you've got nothing to give because you've got more to give than anybody because you've got years that you've walked with Jesus Christ. And I remember when all of us hippies were, were going to lunch, dinner, lunch with these people, and that like they've never spoke at church. They never did anything, quote, unquote, famous. They never did anything um, uh, 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 you know, that gave them recognition, but they just walk quietly with Jesus all those decades. They would pour into us, and I'm standing here today because of people who poured, who just talked to me and shared with me, people who thought they were not important, people who thought they were nobodies. They were the very foundation that the church is built on. Do not think that you're too old or that you've, you know, you've got nothing to offer. That's a lie of the enemy. And I believe, too, uh, whoever, uh, there's going to be some healings today. I'm not getting specific words, except that somebody has an arm issue. But Jesus wants to heal some people up front today. So, sorry, I think I'm done. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.